Today we begin a series uh, that will continue for the next few weeks. And the series is focusing on the seven churches of the book of Revelation. The seven churches of Revelation. I'd like you please to bow your heads with me as we pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for the privilege of worshiping in your holy temple today. Thank you, Lord, that we could be together as one, even though we are scattered around the place. Now, Lord, as we uh, do this very important thing, as we get into your word, please bless our hearts. Thank you for the children that are on with us, for Emma and her siblings, uh, for all the other children that we have on the platform today. Please bless your word again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to the book of Revelation. And since we are in church, I would like you to read with me aloud from the King James Version. This is the only passage we would read together. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. We're reading together. So if you're a family at home, please get close to each other if you can. If you want to read independently of your parents' children, that's fine too. Husbands and wives, same Bible device. As we read together, it says in verse 1, I read, it says, Unto the church, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his... Excuse me. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Verse 2. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and has found them liars. Verse 3, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not failed. Verse 4, nevertheless I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove my candlestick out of its place, out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
And then verse 7, the punchline. Read with me, it says, He that hath an heir, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This is the word of God. This is the account of the first church called Ephesus. Of course, the story of John the Revelator, John the beloved apostle, is a most intriguing story. The Bible or tradition tells us rather that Paul was beheaded, that Peter was crucified. He was crucified upside down, if you please, by choice. And John, the next prominent apostle, they wanted to make him a spectacle for all to see and know that the Roman authority was an authoritarian authority and that nobody should go against them. So they had a big quadron of oil, hot oil, prepared. This is like a, a big barrel of oil, hot oil, that they took John and they put him in there. I want to tell you today, brothers and sisters, that when you are cooking, whatever you're cooking, let's say you're cooking vegetables or, or something, and there is oil, and you put that thing into the hot oil, it will begin to sizzle, and it will make a noise that you will know that the hot oil has begun to work. When they took John, the beloved apostle, I'm sure they were waiting to hear the sizzling of his flesh in that hot oil. But to their amazement, just as with the three Hebrew boys, the heat was comforting and soothing to John the Apostle. Somebody say amen. He walked out alive and well on that day. The authorities thinking that he would become a god and that he would be a rival to Emperor Nero, to, to the emperor rather of Rome, they took him and banished him on an island called Patmos. Of course, Patmos was like Carrera, the island prison that we have here in Trinidad. It was a rocky island in the Aegean Sea, in the Aegean Sea. And this was a place where prisoners were shut away from civilization. They were shut away from all the activities of life. But that was a beautiful place for John the Apostle. Somebody say amen. Because it was on this desolate island that the Lord came down and met with John. And the Bible says that glory filled his soul as heaven came down and he spent time in the presence of God. It was on that island that we read of John's experience in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. The Bible says, John speaking, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Well, I want to tell you today, brothers and sisters, that great voice that he was hearing was the voice of Jesus. He said, I am Alpha, 
I am Omega, the beginning and the ending, said the Lord. Amen. In verse 11 of chapter 1, that Alpha Omega motif comes up again. 11, verse 11, it says, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book. We have that book and we call it the book of Revelation. And then the Lord said to him, send it, send what you, what you see, send what you write in that book unto the seven churches that are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and then unto Laodicea. And of course, as we go through the next few Sabbaths, these other churches would be spoken about. In verse 18 of chapter 1, the Lord says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen! And have the keys of hell and of death. I thank God today, brothers and sisters, I thank God today that the Lord is alive and well. Somebody say amen. In verse 17, he says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I thank God today that Jesus is the first and he's the last. Somebody say amen. He's the beginning and he's the ending. He's the alpha and he's the omega. In other words, he was there from the very beginning. And what we have now today is as a result of the presence of God from the very beginning. We are not created. We are not species of evolution rather. We didn't come as a result of some galactic accident that happened as they say millions of years ago thank God we are not we are too fearfully and wonderfully made to be like that we were made by and through the wisdom of God God himself forming us into who we are and bringing us into being Jesus said I was there in the beginning and I thank God he is there in the ending. Amen. So in spite of what men may say about end times, in spite of what men may predict and what men may plan for the end times, can I tell you today, brothers and sisters, that the Lord has the end time in control. He knows how it is going to end. He will determine how it ends. He says, I am beginning. I am ending in Jesus' name. Amen. He knows the outcome. And so you're wondering, will COVID kill the whole planet? Will the COVID vaccine in a few years mash up the whole society? I declare to you today, brothers and sisters, that God knows what he is doing even in this pandemic. 
Even as we grapple with the issues of the vaccine. Even as we think about whether we should take it or not. And by the way, gentlemen, this is not part of my script. But I think I should say it. I hope my wife who is looking doesn't <laughs> look at me and say later, you should not have. But I will say it. I received my second job yesterday. Yes, I did. Amen. And I took it because I prayed. I took it because I looked at what's going on on the planet. We don't know what's going to happen. Some people talk about the long-term effects of taking the vaccine. I don't know. But what I know is people are dying of the virus. And more people are dying of the virus than dying of the vaccine. Yes, there are issues with the vaccine. Did I pray yesterday? Oh, yes. Did I pray last night before I went to sleep? Oh, definitely yes. And when I got up this morning and I saw that I was alive, I said, I said thank you, Jesus. Because there are issues. So you have to pray. And if the Lord impresses you not to take it, don't take it. But if the Lord says to you, because of your work and because of what you do, you should, then you should consider taking it in Jesus' name. I know a lot of people not taking it. And who takes it, who doesn't take it, is not my business. My business is to deal with me. I have chosen. Nobody forced me. And I took it because I feel that is the best thing for moi to do. Amen. So the Lord is going to deal with end times. He will deal with the issues surrounding this pandemic and every other issue. He's the beginning and he's the ending. The first and the last. Somebody say amen. Amen. So let's get back to the church. There are three applications that we need to consider. First, that when we talk about the three churches, we need to note that there is a real historical perspective of the churches. What do I mean by that? These messages were written to seven literal churches in Asia Minor. This is modern day Turkey. The Christian church was being bombarded. The Christian church was being persecuted. People were, were, were pulled apart. They were slain. They were humiliated. They were persecuted. And so the leader of the church at the time, John, the beloved apostle, decided to write words of encouragement to these seven churches. Why he didn't write to the others like Corinthians and so on, we don't know. But he wrote to these seven specific literal churches. Why did he write? To encourage them. To let them know in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the persecution, the Lord will come and he will save his people. First application. The second application is a prophetic apl application or a prophetic perspective, if you please. 
the spiritual condition conditions in the seven churches coincide with the spiritual condition of God's church throughout the history of Christendom. Let me say it differently. Each of the seven churches were intended to provide from heaven's perspective God's view of the church at different stages of the history of Christianity. To say it yet in another way will be to say that the messages represent different types of uh, uh, church states throughout history. So we have seven churches. The first church represented the period of the early church from AD 32, 33 rather. Some historians say AD 31. So AD 31, AD 32, AD 33 to AD 100. That period of time represents the, the Ephesus church. So the message to the universal church at that time was what God said to Ephesus, to the church of Ephesus. And then the last church, Laodicea, represents the period 1844 to the point of the second coming of Jesus. To say it differently would be to say that we are living in the Laodicean time where we are neither hot nor cold. And the Lord says to the church, if you don't straighten up, I will spew you out of, I will vomit you out. Have mercy, Jesus. And that's why the issues of postmodernism and, and, and uh, millennialism are so, so rampant because, you know, folks are just there in the center. There's no side. There are so many alternatives and, and, and people are just, you know, on the gray zone rather than on the black zone or the white zone. But there is another application. And this is called the universal application. Just as the entire book of Revelation was sent as one letter, one letter. And by the way, they were not chapters. It was just one long letter written by John. As a matter of fact, you know, if you go to, if you go, if you're in prison, or if you get a letter from somebody in prison, let's put it differently. Somebody from prison writes you a letter. Before you get that letter, and I've gotten letters from prisoners before, before you get that letter, the prison authorities would read the letter and want to know what you're telling the people on the outside. And if what is on the letter does not coincide, does not harmonize with what the authorities want you to say, they will destroy it. So when the authorities looked at the letter that John had written and addressed to each of the church, they looked at it 
and saw all kinds of animals. They saw all kinds of angels. They saw all, saw all kinds of issues, symbols happening in the book of Revelation. And the first conclusion they got was, he had to be a madman. What stupid is he writing? So they allowed the book of Revelation to be sent out to the churches, not knowing that when the people of God got the book, they would understand every symbol that John had written and they would understand the hidden meanings that were there in the book of Revelation. And thank God, we too can understand in Jesus' name. And so, the universal application simply says that just as the book of Revelation was one book to the church, so too the letters the, 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 the letters, the messages to the seven churches, the specific messages found in Revelations 2 and 3 are for each of us individually because at one stage in our Christianity, we may be at the Ephesus stage of our lives or we may be at the Philadelphia stage of our Christianity or we may be at the Laodicea stage of our Christianity. In other words, each letter would have application to somebody at some stage of their Christian journey. Let me hasten on because I'm sure my time is almost gone if it's not gone already. How much more time I have, guys? About, okay, they tell me to go ahead. That's a dangerous thing, you know, Christian. Don't tell me go ahead because I will just go. <laughs> he said 10 more minutes. All right, let's see if you can wrap it up by that time. Thank you, sir. So, 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 so. These three applications are necessary to keep in mind. Now that we have laid the foundation, I have 10 minutes to preach the sermon. So I'll start. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1 says, we're going into Ephesus now. Unto the, ch unto the angel... Of the church of Ephesus, right? This is the message. Verse 1. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Praise God. Somebody say amen. If you understand what the Lord is saying here, then you will understand, brothers and sisters, that the one who holds the stars, the seven stars, is not holding the stars in the left hand, but holding the stars in the right hand. What are stars? The interpretation that we hold seven Adventists, is that the seven stars are the leaders of the church. Amen. The seven stars are those individuals who lead out in church life. Why was uh, the Lord saying this? Why was this message to be transmitted? Remember I said to you, Peter and James, well I didn't talk about James, but Peter and Paul, John and Bartholomew, all the apostles, they were killed 
of martyrs. And John was the last one left. There had to have been a message to the leadership. The leadership needed to know and to understand that in spite of what's going on, in spite of the fact that other leaders were killed, the Lord is holding the leadership of his church in his right hand. And when the Bible talks about God's right hand, it is talking about God using his best effort. Of course, every effort from God is his best anyhow. Somebody say amen. But for us to understand, in human terminology, he uses the right hand to symbolize that God will not spare anything to keep his people. Can I tell you today, brothers and sisters, that the leadership of God's church is in his hands. And that's why as leaders, we don't cut style on God. We don't cut style on the church. You know why? If he lets us out of his hands, crap or smoke, we pipe. Have mercy, Jesus. Lead us today. We need to continue to appreciate the fact that we only get our light from Jesus. Amen. We don't have it unto ourselves. And that's why we, we, don't, we don't front ourselves and we don't cut style on the church and on, on, on the Lord. Because what we are, who we are rather, and what we have is as a result of God's goodness in our lives. Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles, leaders are but instruments in his hands. And all, all the good they accomplish is done through his power. So if you're a music minister like Miss Prime, or a musician like Mr. Paul. Or somebody who is heavy into technology like, like Mr. Timothy and Mr. Williams. Or if you're a preacher like uh, uh, Mr. Gushad, Brother Gushad, Elder Gushad. Then understand that all you are and all you have comes from God. He holds the stars in his right hand. But we're not done. The second thing to note from verse 1 is that the Bible says that the Lord is walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. What are the candlesticks? The seven golden candlesticks represent the church. Amen. And so what the Lord is saying to us in verse 1, is that not only am I holding the leadership of the church in my hand, but also understand that I am walking in the midst of the church. That deserves an amen. Amen. He is walking in the midst of the church. The Lord is present. Things may happen and you may wonder, has the church gone astray? And of course, many of the internet gurus will tell you, yeah, the church, the Adventist church, it has gone astray and they're doing stripperness and all kinds of stuff. But I declare to you that the word of God says that the church has the benefit of the presence of Jesus. And so that the Lord is here, that the Lord is walking among us. Yeah, we make mistakes sometimes as leaders and as members. But I would not put the Lord out of his church. 
The church belongs to him. And nobody will put him out. He will be here with us. Somebody say amen. So the first message. The first big message. In the book of Revelation regarding Ephesus. Is that the church is in good hands. Let me end with the second big message. The second message in the book of Revelation according to the church of Ephesus. There are many more, but time will not allow. The second big one is, it is found in verse 4. I want you to take your Bibles and look at verse 4. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. It says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou has left thy first love. Revelation 2 and verse 4. As the elders and pastors talk about Revelation, you will discover that in each church except Smyrna and Philadelphia, the Lord gives a commendation for good things they did and then gives a condemnation for things that they should not be doing and that they should stop. With Ephesus, Jesus says, I have one problem with you. And that is, you have left your first love. Please consider this matter of first love in the context of the cycle of marriage or the stages of marriage. Of course, depending on who you read, you will get either eight stages or five stages. The one that is easiest for me to remember is the one that is posited by um, H. Norman Wright, Christian psychologist. He says there are three stages. The first stage is called the honeymoon stage of marriage. The second stage is called the disenchantment stage of marriage. And the third stage, he calls that one the maturation or the maturity stage of marriage. What Wright says simply is, when two people begin to date, so this principle is not just for marriage, it's for work. It's for a pastor, leader, a pastor, church relationship. When two people get into a relationship or a person with a group of persons, the first stage is called the honeymoon stage. So in marriage, they just got married and that man could do no wrong. I mean, he's the king of the roof, the king of the hill. He is a man who does anything most times and he gets away. So he comes home, takes off his shirt, throws it on the ground, takes off his pants, throws it on the ground, takes off his tie, if he's wearing a tie, and just throws it on the bed. And his wife will come to him and say, sweetie, sweetie, let's move this. It shouldn't be there. My mommy taught me the place should be tidy. 
And so, they move it. But the man doesn't learn. And he continues. And when the honeymoon phase or stage is ended, he takes the same clothes and puts it in the same place. And she will look at him and say, Hey, hardback man, move that from there for me, please. Because there is no more honeymoon. There is no more walking, you know, as if you are on cloud nine. And most marriages break up at that second stage called the disenchantment stage. Well, the honeymoon stage is that lovely stage. Of course, when the couple gets to maturity, they will be good for the rest of their life. So those of you going through difficulties in marriage, those of you who are having a rough time in your relationship, just hold on. Getting through this will get you to a place where you will be able to make it. Most couples mess up at the second stage. There is a honeymoon coming again, my sister. There is a honeymoon coming again, my brother. And that will come when the both of you settle down and realize, in spite of the clothes, I will help him and we will do it together. But I love the man. I ain't giving him up. Amen. Well, let's apply this to the church of Ephesus. Very early in the relationship of the church with their Savior, that church was a big church. That church was a caring church. That church was an evangelistic church. And Jesus says, when you first started, you were great. You were on the field. You were a church that was taking care of the needs of the people. Honeymoon phase. But then something went wrong. This is my last passage. I'm closing up now. During the early honeymoon stage of the Christian church, we read in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41 to 49. And this is a message for Good News Chapel. When you first started as a congregation, remember those good old days? Well, some of you may not have been here, but those of you who were, you remember the early days of Good News Chapel? And when you look at those good old days and comparing it to now, then you will agree with me that we're not who we used to be. And sometimes that's not a good thing. But when you're doing good things at the early stage, it is good to look back and want to be that way again. But hear what the Bible says. I'm wrapping up now, guys. Acts chapter 2 from verse 41, it says, talking about the early church. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So this was an evangelistic church. And they continued, how? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayer. In other words, this was a dynamic church. A church that studied the word. A church that prayed. A church that fellowshiped. And fear came, verse 43, upon each soul. And many wonders 
and signs were done by the apostles. This was a miracle working church. And sometimes we pray and we don't see anything happening. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that some people still pray and things happen. Some people who are sick still pray and get healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 45. And all. How many? And all that believed were together. And had all things, verse 44, had all things common. Amen. 45. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man as every man had needs. You understand what that is saying? That is simply saying, brothers and sisters, that when you came to church and somebody didn't have rent, we used to put up a long time to pay that rent. When somebody didn't have light bill money, we used to put up a long time and help with that. But you know what? Members are saying now, I know more good news, I ain't here yet. But in other places I've worked, members say, I ain't going to the church for nothing. You know why? Every time I go, I hear my business outside. So in order to make sure that people outside don't know my business, I ain't telling nobody when I'm struggling. I ain't telling nobody when I'm hungry. I ain't telling nobody when I don't have rent to pay. That is not the church. The church of the living God is a church that reached out to help the community. But more importantly, it reached out to help its own. Jesus says, we have lost, we have left rather, our first love. And then, in verse 46, it says, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. It was a church that was unified. And then finally, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And look at what the rest of the verse says. Remember in verse 41, 3,000 were saved in one day. It says in 47, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In other words, so many people getting baptized, so many people were joining the church that the church clerk stopped taking count. Sister Nicholas, they couldn't take count. They couldn't keep up because the church was such a dynamic, caring, loving church. That people were just coming from everywhere and saying, take me to the water to be baptized. Jesus said, they didn't lose their first love, you know. He said, they lost, they left it. They left their first love. In other words, they chose not to be this way anymore. They chose not to be a, a, a primitive church, an intimate lover with Jesus anymore. They chose a different path. But as I close this message, as I close this message, 
where this matter of losing one's first love, losing the first love, while it is important for the church as a whole, the Good News Chapel, it is most powerfully true in the personal life of every believer. Secularism, worldliness, sin, pride, education, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of happiness, all of these cause us to leave our first love. And so, the question isn't about the board. It isn't about the pastor. It isn't about the elder or the AY leader. It is about you. Where am I with my Savior? Remember when you first got baptized? How you were so zealous for Jesus? How you were so cooperative with what the church's agenda was? How you were so willing to, to sacrifice and to give it all up for Jesus? But now, you're cut in style. Now, you're criticizing everything. Now, you're holding back. Now, the holy tithe and offerings you're taking it and you're diverting it somewhere else. You have left your first love. Now you are living how you want. Dressing how you want. Talking how you want. Looking at what you want to look at. I declare to you brothers and sisters, we are in danger of not just losing our first love, but losing everything altogether. I close. The words of a song I learned as a little child. This song was written by Andre Crouch. Written in 1975, I think. And Andre Crouch, I suppose, describing his personal journey with Jesus, he said, I feel that I'm so far away from you, Lord, but still I hear you calling me. Those simple things that I once knew. Their memories keep drawing me. And I confess. Lord, I've been blessed. But your souls, but my souls not satisfied. Renew my faith. Restore my joy. And dry my weeping tears. Then he says, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first believed. This is the prayer of somebody today. You know you have deviated. You know you have gone astray. You know you are not who you used to be. You know you're not what the Lord expects you to be. And you simply want to say, take me back, Jesus. If you want to say that, type on the chat right now, the YouTube chat. Just type, take me back. Children, young people, type it too. Take me back. Take me back, Lord. As we pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, we have gone astray. We have left our first love. We have deviated from the path. 
And we are simply crying out to you today, Lord, to say, please, Lord, take us back. Take us back as individuals. Take us back, dear God, as your children, one by one. As we seek to renew our walk with Jesus. As we seek to renew the experience of spirituality. Spending time with Jesus. Making this a priority. Take us back, Lord. Take us back. Even though we have sinned and messed up so very often. Even though, Lord, when you look at us, sometimes you are so displeased with us. But your anger will not forever be generated against us. Thank you, Lord. And take us back. Take us back to that primitive godliness, to that innocence in our spiritual journey, to that unsophisticated walk with God, that simple walk with God that we once knew. Help us, dear Father, to be more like Jesus and grant us, dear God, a revival as we study these seven churches, this be our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.